together to the book of Numbers, chapter 13. So that's toward the beginning of the Bible. We, we wrap up our 30 days of prayer on Tuesday, which is also our, um, our church birthday. And we, we try every year to, for that to happen. So, so our actual birthday is the 12th, um, also Abraham Lincoln's birthday. So, you know... Double win, I guess, in our celebrations. Uh, and this year, it just so happens that we've finished 30 days of prayer and we start Lent the next day. And, uh, and, and so Lent and Advent both have been like kind of new, new additions, so to speak, to, our, like, to the ring. You know, it wasn't something that we've done from the beginning. Um, and, and so what I want to do tonight, like, I just feel like the Lord was like, okay, let's... Let me kind of get you ready for what the next, you know, several weeks are going to look like and what they, just the potential that is there in, like, going through Lent. Uh, Lent, Advent, uh, and there are other parts of the year that are part of the Christian calendar. And uh, so in the Old Testament, uh, God, when he created the people of Israel, he gave them a calendar, and built into their, their yearly you know, cycle certain festivals and, ho- and like holy sacred days and sacrifices and all that. And, and some of, of what a lot of us tend to find kind of boring about the Old Testament is like descriptions about all these festivals and um, you know, the sacrifices associated with them and how much, you know, whether, whether you are to give grain or sacrifice an animal or something like that. And, it's easy to kind of get lost in all that, but so if we just take a just a bird's eye view of what was going on, God gave them a calendar in order to teach them things that were important. That's really what it was all about. And it's kind of like our own calendars. When if you look at it, at the you know twelve months out of the year, peppered all throughout that calendar are things that are significant to us. You know, there are holidays, there are birthdays, there are anniversaries. There are times of school, times of vacation, uh, you know, summer break, stuff like that. There's, there's just, that's kind of what happens. It helps us track time and how time's moving forward. But also we're able to just be organized around the things that are important to us. That's what God did in giving Israel a calendar. He said, no, you're going to organize your, like, the full year of your life, and I'm going to teach you what's important about me and about you and how this whole thing is going to work. So the Christian calendar you will not find in the Bible, but you will find the concept, uh, and that's what uh, saints of old got together, and they were like, let's put together a calendar so that within the life cycle of a year, we're able to uh, spend sufficient time focusing on some of the important elements um, about the story of God. So Advent, we have the coming of Christ. Lent, we have events with the cross. Uh, there's, there's a, a whole time devoted to the Holy Spirit uh, in there and stuff. And so uh, everything about the Christian calendar we don't practice here. But we started with Advent a couple years ago. And then Lent is something that's kind of come, come around recently as well. And so Lent 
is a, it's a 40-day uh, period of time where we are essentially doing like Jesus. It says that he set his face toward Jerusalem. Like he, he set his attention like, toward the cross. Uh, the beginning of his ministry involved a, a fast of 40 days in the desert, which was essentially the beginning of his earthly ministry was also the beginning of his journey toward the cross. Um, and so that's where the number 40 comes from. That's what's happening. And so the whole season of Lent is supposed to build into our year sufficient time for us to soak up so much of what we need to know about the cross, just like we did with Advent and the Incarnation. Uh, there are, are, I've heard plenty of anti-Mardi Gras and anti-Lent sermons out there. And there's, there's just lots of like, people who think that it's, you know, it's a terrible thing and all this kind of stuff, whatever. Now, we don't worship Lent. Okay, and we don't worship this part of the calendar, just like we don't worship Advent. This is just a section of time that allows us to, let's focus on some specific things during this period of time. Let's trust that doing that every year is good for our souls, just like God determined that certain feasts and things were good for the souls of, of Israel. So what I want to do tonight is kind of, kind of bring into, into view three concepts that I think are going to be very helpful to us over the next... Uh, 40 days, you know, being, beginning on Wednesday. This encompasses, there'll be six Sundays, I believe, in there. And so we'll spend a couple of weeks uh, talking about some of this stuff, kind of expanding on tonight a little bit. And then when it gets closer to Easter, of course, there's Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday and stuff like that or whatever. So I'll give you three things that I think if you really, if you want to get a lot out of this period of time, I think these three things will be very helpful in helping kind of set the tone for what that will look like. Uh, so uh, it will be three concepts. I'll go ahead and tell you all three of them. One is the concept of a desert. And the second one is the concept of communion, like the Lord's Supper. And the third one is the concept of rehab. That seems like an odd one. I thought it was odd, too, when I read it. But the more I read it, I was like, okay, that's pretty good. And I stole it from somebody, so... I'll give him credit when the time comes. So we went to Numbers 13. Here's, this is why we go to the, the concept of desert and connect it to Lent. Um, let's just, we're going to read a good bit of 13 and 14 to kind of give some background on what's happening. So the Israelites had been freed from slavery uh, out of Egypt. Now they're on a journey toward the promised land. Uh, we'll pick up in Numbers 13, start at verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the people of Israel. Okay? So they've made it you know, close, close enough to the promised land to be able to... to Go and send some spies into it. So uh, that's essentially what happens. A man from every tribe, Moses puts together a team of 12 of these guys. He sends them in. He says, go in, you know, check everything out. If you look at verse 12, uh, it just kind of lists who, who they are. In verse, uh, not 12, let's go to 17. These are the instructions Moses, Moses gives to these 12 men. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up in, into the Negev and go up into the hill country and see what the land is and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many. 
and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities they dwell in are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. Okay, so he wants them to go and get a first-hand account. And we know this on this side of the story. He wants them to go see how stinking impossible it's going to be to go in and just take this land. He wants them to see that the land is amazing. Like it's the perfect land. It's the best land on the planet, according to the Lord. He wants them to see that, but he also wants them to see just how many people are living there and how big and strong they are. And the idea is going to be you're going to have to trust the Lord completely in order to go in there and take this land. He wants them to see it firsthand. So this is what they do. Uh, 21. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin to Rehob near Lebo Hamath. They went up into the Negev and came to Hebron, Amon, Shishai, and Talmai. You know, you know all them. Um, the descendants of Anak were there. Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt, of course. Um, And they came to the valley of Eshol and cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes, and they carried it on a pole between two of them. They also brought some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the valley of Eshol because of the cluster that the people of Israel cut down from there. So they go in, they look at the the land, um, and bring back some of the fruit. They do exactly what they're supposed to do. And so here's, here's their report. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Okay, that's a great report. However, 28, however, the people who dwell in the land are strong. And the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Okay? That would be, they're like uh, Goliath, like giants, basically. Like giant warriors live there, basically. What are you saying? The Amalekites dwell on the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell on the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. All right? So they come back and they're like, this land is amazing, but there ain't no way that we can just go in there and take this land. They're too big. They're too strong. They're, they're too established. They're too whatever you want to think. It's going to be impossible. Verse 30, But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let's, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, the land, uh, though uh, we've gone to spy it out, is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. We saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, come from the Nephilim, and we seemed, uh, to out, we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, so we seemed to them. So, okay, you stand next to these guys, we're like a grasshopper next to a normal human, too much, too much, too much. So verse 14, here's the reaction of the people, uh, super positive, of course. Then, uh, then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, 
the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? They said to one another, Let's choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among them, or among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation the people of Israel, The land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, how, listen to this, how long will this people despise me? How long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit uh, them, and I will make of, you a, make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. So Moses starts to intercede. He starts to beg of the Lord and call on his character and things. And look at verse 20. The Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. But truly as I live, and as all the earth shall, uh, and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and yet have put me to the test these ten times, and have not obeyed my voice, shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. And none of those who despised me shall see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Now since the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valleys, turn tomorrow and set out for the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, and saying, How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Say to them, here's the announcement to go give the people. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness, and all of your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward who have grumbled against me, not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. But your little ones, who you said would become a prey, I will bring in, and they shall know the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness, and your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years, and shall suffer for your faithlessness, until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness." According to the number of days in which you spied out the land, forty days, a year for each day you shall bear your iniquity forty years, 
and you shall know my displeasure. I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this will I do to all this wicked congregation who are gathered together against me in this wilderness. They shall come to a full end, and there they shall die. Whoa. Whoa. So why, what does this have to do with Lent? <laughs> uh, that was positive about, about Jesus. It is. It is. We, we need to understand exactly why the Israelites were sentenced to walk in the desert for 40 years. It's because of sin. That's what sin gets you. Death. They rejected the Lord. They rejected the land. They mocked Him. They doubted Him. They questioned Him. They refused to trust Him. And they died. During the season of Lent, the reason why I think the desert helps us get the most out of this time is that it it keeps us from losing sight of the sin that put Jesus on the cross. And I love, like I just, I love living in grace and forgiveness and new identity and wholeness. And like, the, I mean, the new covenant is phenomenal. But I know in my life, and I believe in the lives of a lot of Christians and a lot of people in our own church, uh, we we tend to get so into the good stuff that we forget that it was my sin that held him on the cross, not the nails, you know? That we, I mean, you think about, think about the sin in your life. I think about the, the times today, over the past week, that you, you chose yourself over him. And every single one of those things is what when Jesus turned his face toward Jerusalem, that's what he was coming to deal with, was the fact that you did that, that I did that, that we did that, that humanity did that, that the Israelites did that. So we have to think 40 years wandering in the desert, 40 years of thinking, like, how, how could we have done this to ourselves? How could we have done this to our children Wondering if if you're the day that you were to die. I mean, how many times did it say your bodies will fall in the wilderness? I mean, he said it over and over and over again. Wondering if your body's going to fall in the wilderness in year one or year thirty nine. It was our sin that held Jesus on the cross. It was our sin that made Philippians two one through eleven happen. That he left heaven and came to earth and had to be here and had to put up with all this and had to go through. Everything involved with living on the earth. And that's when he turns his face toward Jerusalem, that's what he's looking at is our sin. And I think it's dangerous for us to lose sight of that. Not that we walk around heaping condemnation on ourselves. It's not 40 days of, you know, just being like, oh, I'm the worst, I'm the worst, I'm the worst. But I think it is 40 days of recognizing, like, just because we live in so much grace doesn't mean we should lose sight of. What led to the cross in the first place? And so that's some of what we do. How does that work for 40 days? I don't, I don't know. How do you do that for 40 days without walking around sad all the time? 
I think that's why the next image is important, the image of communion. Flip over to Isaiah 53. Lent, it's not just a desert, it's also communion. Think Lord's Supper, you know, the bread, the wine, it's set up. Um, There's a tension that exists when you take communion, you know. There's this heaviness of of your your sin, you know, that Jesus died for. There's there's that confession and that just owning up to you know, like I'm he did this for me because I was like in a situation I couldn't change. There's a heaviness that's there, but there's also there's a joy that's greater than that. If you look at Isaiah fifty three says, who has believed what he's heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up, this is Jesus, he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root cut, uh, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us what? Peace. And with his stripes we are healed. See, the communion table, it has both. It has him bearing our transgressions, our iniquities, in exchange for peace and healing. It has both. That should be a part of Lent, is that the sin of the desert and the grace of the cross meet at the communion table. And the grace of the cross overshadows the sin of the desert. We don't toss out our sin and pretend like it never happened. It doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible that God just pretends like we never sinned. He says, no, I, I know full well your sin but I don't hold it against you because the blood of my son covers that. And so, how beneficial to our souls for 40 days to live in that tension, to be confessional and and to own up to our sin and, and to not be like, grace, 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 love, mercy, compassion, all these kind of things so much that we almost act like we never did anything wrong. But in looking at what we did wrong... It just highlights and amplifies the grace and the love. That's why you walk away from communion not, con- not feeling more condemned, but you walk away from communion feeling more in love with Jesus and who He is. Why? Because you saw both, you saw the desert meet the cross, and the cross wins every time. And so we have this 40-day period of figuring out how do we, how do we dig into this? 
How can we, our souls and our minds be shaped in such a way that we emerge from this with more healing and more peace? Like it says right there. And we keep going. All we like sheep have gone astray. Verse 6. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And he made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has, been, he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. That's, that's us. When, you, when we focus on the cross, we don't come away sad. We come away with deep joy. That's what we're going for with Lent. Deep joy in what Jesus has done and who he is. In light of our sin and our iniquity, the triumph of Christ just highlights that for us. We come away more like him. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Transgressors. Makes intercession for the transgressors. So, if he's interceding for us, then I believe Jesus wants us, during this 40-day time, I think he wants us to really like just draw near and say, okay, what, what do you want me to learn right now? What do you want me to learn about the desert? What do you want me to learn about the communion table? In that drawing near we enter into the third concept, which is rehab, basically. That's what, that's what we're going for. It's like we're going into rehab. I was reading this, this it was a sermon transcript by a guy named J.D. Walt, and uh, he was, was just talking, he'd actually, he'd watched uh, something where Amy Winehouse, when her song Rehab came out, and it was, that got him thinking about this concept, like that song, Rehab, and how she didn't want to go, you know? No, no, no. And uh, she didn't want to go to rehab, and he was like, yeah, none, nobody wants to go to rehab. But you could tell in the lyrics somewhere that like, she kind of thinks she knows that she needs to. He's, what I took from his sermon transcript, which may not have been his point at all, is that Lent... When it comes around every year, it's kind of like, all right, we're going to rehab whether you want to or not. Because you've become addicted to things and you, didn't, you probably didn't realize it. And so if Jesus' ministry begins, uh, in, and we can see it in Luke 4 and in Matthew 4, 
Uh, Nate, throw, that, throw Matthew 4, 1 up, up. Look what this says. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Like the Spirit led Jesus out there. Like there was a purpose in it. There was, it was intentional. Jesus went like, man, I think I'm going to just go in the desert and just be hungry for a while. The Spirit was like, no, we're going we're gonna to bring you out there and we're going to let you go toe to toe. I'm not even going to get into the reasons for that. We'll probably unpack some of that stuff in the next couple of weeks. But there was an intentionality on the part of the Spirit in bringing Jesus out there. And if we really are having to learn to not conform to the patterns of the world, then maybe once a year, for 40 days, maybe the Spirit is going to lead us into a season and say, all right, um, you're addicted to some things and you don't even know it, and we're going to deal with that. We're going we're gonna to take you through some detox. We're going to help you see your addiction for what it is. We're going to show you the sin. We're going to show you the cross, which is greater than the sin. We're going to rehabilitate you. We're going to teach you, show you how to live apart from this without this. And we're going to have some like a re-entry time to send you back in and show you that you're addicted to something, you don't realize it, and you don't need it in your life, and, but you think that you do. And so let's go to rehab. And so if we take the desert and the communion table and the concept of rehab, then I think all we're really doing is we're just bringing ourselves before Jesus as our intercessor and we're saying, what, what do you want to do in me during this time? What sin, what... what uh, what about my flesh? What about my mind? What pattern of the world? What is it that I've become so used to that I'm just in this pattern of sin and don't even realize it? You press all that stuff together, and I think that's what, I think that God, that's what God wants to do during this time. And not that it only happens during Lent. It's creating a rhythm in our lives. Being like, hey, let's confess our sins. Let's bring things into the light. Let's deal with it. Let's let the Lord just be good. But sometimes you just have to go to rehab, and so that's what we're going to do. And what's cool is, like, I don't know what it looks like for everybody. You know, there are, the, there are these traditional disciplines that people build in. You know, of course, fasting is, is the most common one, especially in South Louisiana. You know, what are you giving up for Lent? Heard that for years and years and years. As a Baptist kid, I didn't know what that meant. I just knew, like, certain friends of mine couldn't eat chocolate for, like, a couple of weeks. And I felt bad for them. I was like, that's terrible, you know. So we build fasting into our lives. And it doesn't have to be fasting of something, you know, like whatever. It's like, what, what is the Lord calling me to lay aside for this period of time? And if, if, if you are fasting something, that's supposed to create this space in your life. It breaks this natural rhythm. And what's cool is like you may, you may fast from television for 40 days, and God may use that fast from television uh, to show you some deep issue that is not related to television at all. That's what's cool about fasting is that we, we tend to think it's about food or it's about this or about this, whatever. It's about your soul. It's, it's something much deeper. So you just create some space. You break that natural rhythm and you come before the Lord and you say, 
Well, what do you want to do with me? And then also, next thing you know, you're, like, you're having heart surgery, practically. You, know, like you're just, you don't know what's going on, and he's doing all this work because he's taking you through rehab. He's pointing out the sin of the desert, and he's pointing out the goodness of the cross, and he's having all this stuff happen. And through the rehabilitation process, he's teaching you how to live without those addictions and those sin issues. And guess what? You're emerging sanctified. There's a holiness that comes out of that when we do it the right way. If you just give up something for Lent because it's tradition, then you're not being sanctified. It has nothing to do with maturing any of us at all. If you're, if you're fasting and you're praying as a part of that fasting and you're coming before the Lord, um, and people do things like, that, sometimes people will they'll, they'll give, you know, or they'll um, be different acts of service, there'll be different things. If we just have to come before the Lord and say, what, what do you want Lent to look like for me? If I want to set my face toward Jerusalem, like Jesus did, if I want to set my face toward the cross and go on this journey together, um, what, what do you want me to do? And then I believe you just listen. Let him show you. If you're like, man, I feel like a crazy person, but I kind of feel like I'm supposed to fast from this for Lent. Well, then fast from that for Lent. And, and couple that with prayer and accountability and the scriptures and get into it and let's figure out what is Jesus wants to do. I believe ultimately this will come away, we will come away with a deeper appreciation for uh, Easter. You know? Like we're, we're journeying toward Palm Sunday, Easter Sunday, the events of Passion Week. We're, we're going toward that. We're just not going to wait until the day before to get ready. We're getting ready now. And what better way to get ready than for us to bring ourselves before the Lord and say, just make us aware of whatever, it's, whatever we need. I don't want to go through another Easter and be like, man, I probably should have gotten more out of that. I think the Lord says, well, guess what? I'll spend 40 days getting you ready. And you'll have the best Easter you've ever had. So that's the summary of Lent. <laughs> And I don't know the specifics of what we're going to do. We won't have a lot of programming. You know, we're not going to do it that way. I put it on you. I put it on me to come before the Lord and say, what do you want to do during this time? So, there it is. I hope, that, I hope that's helpful. Um, but we're going to sing some songs here in a second to just pack some dirt on top of this. And I think it'll be, it'll be good for us to set our faces toward Jerusalem together. So let's, let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, thank you for, for the story of Caleb and Joshua and their faithfulness. And seeing that, that your desire is, is to take us from being the kind of People who are like the Israelites who are doubting and grumbling and complaining and totally self-absorbed and just no trust in you, a refusal to see what you had done for them over and over again, a rejection of your name, a rejection of your land, that you're able to take us from being people like that and make us into people like Caleb and Joshua. You're making us into the kind of people who are able to say, who cares what the, land, who cares what the circumstances look like? Look at who our God is. And Lord, we ask that, that you help us to have the self-discipline that it takes to look at this 40-day 
um, period of time and to see the potential that's there. That you would stir in us a desire to be sanctified during this time. That we would not shy away from confession of our sin and admitting that we put you on that cross. When God then got through that, that you would highlight your grace and your mercy and your love, that we would emerge with deeper affections for you. And you would help us in our pursuit of being holy because you are holy. As we sing in a few minutes, Lord, will you use these songs to help us just reorder our minds. Will you help us, Lord? We don't want a religious season ahead of us. We want a deep, meaningful time with you.